Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. Shalom, friends. I am beginning now a series on the topic of money, particularly money stories. The truth is, and I think this is obvious, that we carry around with ourselves stories about money. By this I do not mean, or I do not only mean, that we carry around with ourselves non-rational or subconscious assumptions about money, about how and when and to what extent money should be spent or saved or given, about what is a legitimate or illegitimate way to earn money, about what it says about a person when they have or do not have certain amounts of money. That is not, or not specifically, what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to here when I talk about stories of money is that we have literally been exposed to stories about money that make their way into our psyches and our minds and souls. And in some ways, they define or help define for us some of those larger questions. We likely did not arrive at a certain conclusion around how one should earn money or how much a person should display their wealth or not wealth, etc., only based upon rational thinking, it's much more likely that we internalized a story that we heard or heard repeatedly, whether a mythical one or a real one about Uncle Frank or something we heard about the person down the street, a movie we saw in which a person made a certain move about hiding or displaying their wealth, a story we heard about someone who gave in a generous way that made a a deep impression upon us, And we hear these stories and we internalize them and we fuse them, as it were, into our core operating system. And they they become a part of the most basic program that we use when we're trying to figure out how to relate to the challenges that we face in and around money. And it's important, A, to identify those stories and, I think, to discuss them. More importantly, to process them and to understand the effect that it would have to hear that story and to wonder out loud and together whether or not that is useful to us. Here's an example, and one we'll talk about later. Toward the end of my time in yeshiva, my rabbi, Reb Natan Greenberg, gave me a book to read called The Rebbe's Army by Sue Fishkoff. The author simply interviewed dozens, if not hundreds, of people in the world of Chabad, particularly shlichim, people who were sent out into the world by the Rebbe or by the Rebbe's mandate to go and find Jews and bring them close to Torah. And in many of these stories, these shlichim, these emissaries, would go out into the world with a little bit of funding, maybe enough to last for half a year, and they were expected to find Jews and find donors and make things happen. And ostensibly, the blessing of the Rebbe would help. So you'd find these people going out into the world. These are the stories that I'm reading as I'm about to leave Yeshiva and come to America and start my own kind of shlichut, my own kind of mission, as it were. And these people would get credit cards and take them to the max, and they would make daring, bold moves 
buying buildings they couldn't afford. And somehow, by hook or by crook, someone would come through at the last second and would bail them out or pay for the building or make the big donation or whatever it was. And I'm reading this and thinking about it in my last days of yeshiva and whatever, three, four, or five months later, I'm in Boulder, Colorado, uh, maxing out credit cards and spending tons of money hosting people for meals, saving no money at all for myself, for my family, but not even thinking that that was a problem because I was riding on the ruach of this incredible story of people who would go out and make the moves they needed to make and God will provide. Looking back on that time and the influence that those stories had on me, I feel it was ill-advised and kind of dumb. I feel that I put my family in jeopardy. I didn't think rationally about money. I didn't put in place the kinds of arrangements that would have set us up for stability and for success. Instead, this story guided me for better and for worse. And my sense is that for many of us, there are such stories that live behind the curtain or in the deep mind somewhere that are broadcasting to us how to make decisions and how to navigate questions around money. And yes, sometimes it lives in the deep mind and sometimes it's literally printed on the money itself. The American coinage and currency that we use contains the words, in God we trust which is a very powerful message to convey when dealing with money. Because for many people, in money we trust and not in God we trust. But imagine what would happen if every time a person spent any unit of money, they would look at the coin for a moment and remember, as it were, the mantra or the message or the value, the meta value, which is expressed through this money beyond the simple denomination of the currency, how much does this get me? Rather, they were to remember, in God we trust, and then to spend that dollar. And in God we trust, and to receive that dollar. E pluribus unum, in many, one. That money, which in so many ways can divide people, if somehow the message of money as a unifier and a connector could be invoked and remembered when per people spent money. It would be a different relationship to money entirely. So what is the message of Jewish money? What would be the mantra or the message or the meta value that we should print on our money. There is an incredible Midrash that spells out four people who printed money and the messages that they literally minted and engraved into the coinage that they used and distributed in the world. And for each of them, the Midrash hangs on the idea that they became famous, they became well-known, word about them came out into the world. These people became identifiable as holders of a value, holders of a message, representations of a particular element in the world. And as a way to concretize, as it were, this message or this value or this element, they printed money, or I should say they coined money as a way to, again, convey this. Ostensibly that the value that they represented would be imparted or would be remembered or invoked around these coins such that when people used these coins, they would remember not just this person, but the value that they represented in the world. And here's the words of the Midrash. Rabbi Berechia, in the name of Rabbi Chelbo, said that four people had 
coinage emerge into the world. The first was Avraham. Now again, the shape or the form of the Midrash here is that we see that the person became famous, and then the Midrash adds this element that they printed, or they sorry, they coined money. So about Avraham, it says, I will make you into a great nation. The Midrash says, they printed coins, or they coined money. What was this coin? An old man and an old woman from this side. And a young man and a virgin on the other side. Then the Midrash goes on and gives the second example. Yehoshua, Yehoshua, Joshua, who took over leadership of the Jewish people when Moshe died and brought them into the land of Israel. It says about Yehoshua, Vayhi Hashem et Yehoshua, and God was with Yehoshua, Vayhi Shamo Bechol Aretz, and word about him went out in all the land. So again, the Midrash adds its idea, Yatzal he coined currency, Ba'olam in the world. Mahu, and what was on his currency? Shur Mikan, an ox on one side, were to aim Mikan, and a gazelle on the other side. And this, why? Al shame, because when Moses blessed the tribe of which Yehoshua, Joshua, was a descendant, which is from the, from the tribe of Ephraim, which is from Yosef, it says, Bechor Shoro Hadarlo, Bekarno Reim Karnav. He is the firstborn of the ox, and he has the horns of the gazelle. There's a lot of material in this, and we will discuss when we can. But first, the third example of coinage, David. It says about King David, David And word about David went out in all the lands. So again, the Midrash adds its piece, He coined currency. What was on his money? A staff and a cloak on one side, which connote his life as a shepherd. And a tower on the other side. And the Midrash gives a verse to prove this. Your neck, says the lover to the beloved in the book, your neck is like the tower of David. Quite a compliment. And the fourth person who became famous is Mordechai. Because the verse in the book of Esther says, Ki gadol Mordechai Because Mordechai was great in the house of the king. And word about him went out in all the lands. The Midrash adds, it's Pit Yatsalo Monitin. He coined currency. What was on his currency? Sackcloth and ashes on one side, connoting the time in the story when he uh, mourned and helped the Jewish people mourn and grieve and cry out to God before, uh, in order to try to flout Haman's decree on one side, and a crown of gold on the other side. So in each of these instances, we see that there's a story, there's a progress, there's an arc, there's a course of events that starts with people in one situation and ending in another. Abraham and Sarah were old, and they became young. Other people say that Abraham and Sarah are on one side and Yitzchak and Rivka are on the other side. But either way, we find this story of oldness or being elders and then youth and vitality on the other side. So there's a story of transformation in their money. By Yehoshua, 
say the commentaries on the Midrash that the ox is violent, the ox is doing acts of war and of attacking, and the Re'im, the gazelle, is one more of beauty and pride and glory, but not violence. So Yoshua comes into the land of Israel and makes war, but in the end, he uh, transforms into a figure of pride and of glory. The third instance is the story of David, where he starts as a poor shepherd and builds up his people and his army and his story and his accomplishments until he eventually becomes king and builds the Tower of David. And the fourth story is the story of Mordechai and a time of mourning and of grieving and that transforming into a time of uh, victory and glory and royalty where he becomes uh, second to the king Ahasuerus. It's a beautiful and powerful midrash and one that I think offers ample opportunity for contemplation. But I offer you the words of Rev. Shlomo Tversky, Zatzal, who used to be a rabbi in Denver, Colorado. He is the rabbi of Rabbi Howard Hoffman, a very, very dynamic and fascinating thinker. He was the brother also of Rev. Avraham Tversky, a really amazing man. And he mentions this Midrash, and he says, Nira, he says, it seems to me, Kikulam Hamer Mazim, they're all are hinting, they are all hinting how to behave or participate in the world of commerce in the proper way. So for Tversky, these ideas, these coins that they made are not simply celebrations or commemorations at the end of a process, but they're meant to somehow hint to a person, to indicate to a person how should they relate to money and how should they relate to commerce. Or said another way, they are all imparting a story about money. Perhaps, and this is only one possibility among many, perhaps they are saying on the most micro level, when you spend money, when you spend this money, when you do this transaction, have in mind that the money that you are spending here or transacting or giving or receiving should be in the service of the narrative of going from old to young. That it should be in the service of renewal and rejuvenation. Maybe that's Abraham's message when he spends money or when his coins are spent. And perhaps when, for example, David and his coinage is operative in the world and his message is being thought about and contemplated as people spend the coins that he minted, perhaps, perhaps his money would connect a person from their place of stability back to a time of trust where they needed to trust in God because all they had was their staff and their cloak and they were wandering about and perhaps the money that is spent with David and his message in mind is meant to keep people from overstabilizing. Maybe they need to remember and go back to and, and stay in touch with that previous time when they were poor or didn't have such means at their disposal and didn't have so much stability. Perhaps Mordechai's coinage is meant to remind people that even at times of success, even at times when things come out well, that they should remember the emotional vulnerability that characterized the beginning of that process for them. Each of these provides a meditation, provides an opportunity to consider and to contemplate the nature of money and the story of money and the story of the transaction and the transformation that happens through money. 
And in addition, I wouldn't say more importantly, but in addition, I believe it's important for us to imagine for ourselves, what would our coinage look like? What would be the message that we would want to impart through the coinage that we would mint? What process, what arc would we want people to remember when they spent our coins? What story of transformation and transaction would we want to make sure is remembered? What two pieces are being connected by the money that we spend? And perhaps we could imagine that we would, in our own minds at least, that we would come up with a coin that we would then superimpose over the bills and coins and credit cards that we use as if it was printed on them to remember and to remind ourselves of what it is that we are trying to accomplish in the most meta sense and the most all-encompassing sense what are we trying to accomplish through the transactions that involve the money and how we earn it and how we spend it and how we give it and how we save it where is that money taking us from and where is it taking us to and why that is one of the questions that i hope to explore through this series I hope that you'll join me not just in listening, and thank you so much for listening, but I hope you'll join me also in contemplating the questions here. Money is uh, one of the three major tikkunim that Rabbi Nachman talks about, sex, money, and food. It is a place where people hold very, very, very deep beliefs, and therefore it is a place where deep and um, often unconscious material will come out and will play out. So my question ultimately is, can we add new stories? Can we graft new stories onto some of the older and deeper stories that we have and create new stories about money that can help inform the way that we earn and save and give, how we display, how we withhold, how we see, how we think, how we plan. And towards that end, I hope to offer you a set of stories, an array of stories, some of them short, some of them longer, that show how incredible people related to the money that passed through their hands as they moved through the world and how they were able to impose or express their own stories and their own arcs and their own narratives through that money into the world and hopefully make the world into a better place. So thank you for joining me on this journey through money stories. And I hope that you'll bring your own caring and your own concern and your own thoughts and experiences to this conversation. Thank you.